Good morning, everyone. I greet you in Jesus' name. I, too, have uh, many warm memories of Ebenezer, the church here, visiting here when I was a little boy, but also ways that Ebenezer has blessed us over the years. Uh, Brother Arthur Brunk coming up for uh, sort of a singing school back in the 50s, and uh, some of our people were Amish. I was born an Amish baby. My parents were Amish and didn't know a lot about music and singing, and author helped us a lot. And I remember the choruses coming up uh, at hymn sing time while they could sing. And James and Miriam, before they were married, uh, in, the, in the chorus. And, uh, and just different ways that you all have encouraged and ministered to us uh, over the years. Even in recent years, appreciate it very much. I invite you to open your Bibles to John 15, a very familiar passage. I'll read the uh, first 11 verses of John 15. And we've read it many times, you've read it many times, um, but let's read it like it was fresh. And uh, notice what, what it's saying. Sometimes we're so familiar with the passage, we can kind of cruise through, we sort of know what's next, and... But let's, uh, let's pay attention. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. I fail to mention that I'm using the New King James Version. So we're familiar with this, uh, with this passage, Christ is the vine, his disciples are the branches, and the father is the husbandman, as the, new, as the King James says, or vine dresser. And there are a number of references here to, uh, to fruit bearing. 
the father wants fruit in verse 2. And he takes out the fruitless branches. In verse 6, it says he casts them out and they're burned. And he prunes them to increase the fruit. And in verse 4, in order to produce fruit, we must be connected to the vine. We must abide in the vine. And verse 5, those who abide in the vine bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So we are helpless to produce fruit that is acceptable for the vine dresser that honors and glorifies God uh, without help. But with help, we can do something. Uh, we can be fruitful. And the Father, in verse 8, is glorified by our fruitfulness. So the abiding that is mentioned in verses 4, 5, 6, uh, 7, and then also again in 10, uh, that is necessary for fruit-bearing, that abiding is dwelling in, remaining in, like a, like a per permanent residence, like it's home, and that's where we live, abiding in Him. And it's referring to a, a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Uh, he who has the Son has life, John wrote. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. In Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, the, the Amplified says, uh, Have its home in you. So, again, that, that abiding. I want to talk this morning about devotional life. And um, I have been fortunate. Uh, a brother here was, Brother Mark, was in the hospital this past week. I'm glad, too, that you're here, Mark. I've been fortunate never to have to have been a patient at a, at a hospital. I have been there with family, my wife, Ivan, which many of you know. And uh, I've visited many other people in um, hospitals over the years. And we and you have noticed that one thing that happens, you're in there with a patient, well, pretty soon a nurse is going to come in and be taking vital signs, taking temperature and blood pressure and checking pulse. And they do it fairly often. And I've heard patients say that it's an, it's an interruption at night when they're trying to sleep, but they're concerned. They want to see, are you doing well? And if those uh, indicators are off, blood pressure's high or low or pulse racing or slowing or whatever, they want to figure out what's going on. And um, one of the things that I believe is a good spiritual monitor for us is our devotional life. It's only one, but it's, it's one monitor of our devotional, of our Christian life. 
when somebody declines from being spiritually healthy to spiritually sick, one of the first things to slip is uh, daily devotions. And a struggling Christian that's living a defeated life, you'll almost always find that their devotional life has not been going well. Their pulse is becoming feeble. Maybe there's an infection that's uh, not getting taken care of. And with any vibrant, victorious Christian radiating the joy of the Lord, you can almost always mark it down. There is a, there is a healthy devotional life every time. So the title of the message this morning is The Perfect Devotions. And that sounds kind of idealistic, I know. But uh, let's think about perfection. What would be the characteristics of a perfect devotions? And I'm not an authority. I'm not breaking new ground here. But hopefully just a review of this subject can be an encouragement to us, an inspiration to us, like reading an article about healthy eating, maybe, or exercise can kind of invigorate us and motivate us to do better in an area. So <clears throat> we'll touch on these 10 characteristics of a devotional time that is satisfying and inspiring and strengthening and encouraging to us and that when we're finished we're ready to face the day or face life or whatever's in front of us and looking forward to the next devotional time. And the first characteristic that I have listed is regularity. There is a pattern of, of planned events. So a perfect devotions isn't going to just happen with occasional random times of looking at something in the Bible. But there was one yesterday and the day before and the day before that. It's a pattern of life. Not a week ago, uh, and I just have been so busy and I've been forgetting, or a week or so before that, but it's, there's an intentional regularity, a consistency. Uh, it happens daily. There's a plan that is followed. In Psalm 55, verse 17, every morning, evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Evening, morning, noon. Some like mornings. Mornings work well for them. Uh, some, for some people, evenings work better or another time of the day or a couple of times a day. But uh, it's regular. And this is a characteristic, like we were talking about traditions in uh, Sunday school class. This is a characteristic that can become form because it's structure and it has become a habit, hopefully, and is a pattern of something 
that we do over and over continually. And it can become lifeless and we just go through the motions. Just as churches can become lifeless and have the form but not the power, that can happen with this as well. But a consistent regular devotions is a critical characteristic of a good devotional life that can grow and sustain spiritual life. So that's the first one that I listed is regularity. A second would be preparation. <clears throat> a perfect devotions uh, would require a prepared heart uh, and mind to block out distractions, uh, things that would I mean, it's easy enough for my mind to wander away without having the cell phone lying next to me or a book that I just was, had laid down the evening before or whatever. But to block those things out, push them aside, our to-do list, anything that would entice our attention to uh, put it out of, away from us and out of our minds. And then to uh, consciously focus on God, to center our thoughts on Him. We are consciously approaching the true, the one and only true God who knows us and loves us and sees us right here where we're sitting or wherever we're at. Our Father, and He is present with us and listening and concerned about this time with Him. So we focus on God. And we, we uh, another part of that preparation would be uh, clearing ourselves before God, being sure that everything is clear if it's needed. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? Psalm 24. He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. Sometimes uh, there's a little uneasiness in the back of our mind. Maybe it's in the front. Our conscience, something is nagging at our conscience. Maybe some angry words were said or there's some jealousy we, if we're honest, we recognize. Some impurity that we allowed uh, or some bitter thoughts or pride that we need to confess and repent of. It's best, it's good uh, to prepare our hearts and to clear ourselves be before the Lord. And we can ask God uh, at the beginning of our devotional time to, uh, to speak to us. Open mine eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. And then uh, tell the Lord that I want, to, I want to hear and I want to be a hearer and a doer. And it says about Ezra, who was an outstanding Old Testament character, an example of preparation in Ezra 10, uh, 7 verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. He was prepared for his devotional time. A third uh, characteristic is uh, sufficient time, that there is enough time devoted to, 
to this time with the Lord. So how much is that? Is a verse of the day on a flip calendar adequate? Is a chapter from the Bible enough? Is 10 minutes enough time? Or half an hour? The Bible doesn't really tell us. It doesn't say thou shalt spend X amount of time in fervent devotions. The Bible would indicate that there is a problem if there's too little time. Uh, if we cave in to the many other things and allow them to just kind of take over our life and discard uh, our time with God, if there's too little priority given. Jesus said uh, when he was in Lazarus' home, he said that Mary had chosen the best part. And Martha was wrapped up in the cares of the kitchen. And we can sense a little or even feel a little of the frustration Martha may have felt. Well, who's going to fix lunch? And that's a good question. Jesus wasn't saying, let's just forget about meals and eating and just listen to me uh, talking. But he was saying what's most important. So challenge number one with sufficient time is priorities. And the importance that we place on our devotional time. And challenge number two is time management. You know, juggling all the business things and work things and homemaking things. The demands and pressures that are part of life and uh, making sure there's a slot for enough devotional time. And challenge number two with the time management is largely guided by challenge number one, what our priorities are. If our devotional time is truly uh, very important to us, we're much more likely to master the time management we need that's needed for making sure we have time. Uh, a regular time is usually the best. Um, and yes, there will be interruptions. And yes, we can't always make it. But uh, missing one because of an emergency or whatever it is won't be a disaster if our life has been one of, of, of a regular devotional time. One group that is especially challenged is uh, mothers with little children or parents with newborns, as I understand we have here this morning. God bless you. So there, there are interruptions and there's constant care and sleepless nights and whatever, and God understands that. And... <clears throat> Uh, so a few things that, uh, just a few ideas. Well, one, pray about it. God cares about something like that. Pray that God would help give you some creative ideas. Uh, some mothers have listened to audio Bibles while they're doing other things. You can pray while you're washing dishes. Um, one mother I heard about 
began reading only Bible stories to her young son. And her son enjoyed them and was eager to hear more. And it blessed the mother too. So uh, there's something more to be gained from a Bible story than from reading Dr. Seuss, maybe. But uh, others of us may also have challenging situations, surely. But, uh, and it may mean sacrificing something else, other reading, other less important activities. I mean, sacrifice is part of worship, right? But if we're too quickly finished with our devotions, it can result in our receiving too little from God and stunted fruit and God not receiving the worship due to him. So that's uh, a characteristic I think we want to keep in mind, sufficient time. A fourth characteristic is that it is meaningful. It is a meaningful time. And that's affected by the frequency and the preparation and the priority that we give it. But there is spiritual significance when, we're, when we've had a good devotional time. There's a genuineness. It's real. We mean it. And it means something to us. There's fulfillment. It's worthwhile. Something is happening. It's not an empty exercise. But a meaningful devotions can only happen if we meet someone. If we meet God the Father, God the Son, through His Word and His Spirit. We can read the Bible... We can learn the doctrines. We can learn about creation, the fall of man, the Savior, salvation, the Holy Spirit. We can become familiar with the commandments, know them, love one another with a pure heart fervently. Thou shalt not covet. We can know those. We can know the promises. Come ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Beautiful promises. But knowing about the doctrines and the commandments and the promises isn't enough. We don't really know the book until we know the message. We don't really know the message until we know the person, the messenger. We must meet the person, the word of, the word of John 1 the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and the revelation of the new. Unfortunately, uh, many Christians experience stretches in the desert where they go through the motions of devotions, but it's empty. Nothing is really happening. They aren't meeting God. And I've been there. And I've met others who have too. But when an earnest, prepared heart 
meets and has communion with the Creator, the God of heaven, it is meaningful. And we're more likely, I think, to understand what those disciples on their way to Emmaus after the resurrection were feeling in their hearts when their hearts were burning as Jesus explained the prophecies about the Messiah. So meaningfulness is another characteristic. A fifth characteristic is worship, a response to God. When we meet God, we worship Him. There is love toward Him. We love Him because He first loved us. The first and greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy strength and all thy soul and all thy might. There is adoration for God. There is awe and wonder. Job said, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. There is praise. Psalm 63, verse 3, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. There will be thankfulness, a gratefulness for what we have in Jesus Christ. But thanks be to God, who giveth us the victory. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever, said the psalmist in Psalm 30, verse 12. So there is, uh, we're, it's a worship time. It's not just a mental exercise. It is communion with God. It is, it includes worship. The sixth characteristic is there is spiritual nutrition. There is spiritual food received. We, uh, we're learning about God and His character, His holiness. And we learn about ourselves, about our condition, our need. And we understand how God has provided for us and His calling to us. And we learn wisdom and we find guidance, we find direction through his word and his spirit. And Jesus said, he promised in John 16, verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. <clears throat> so we're reading the Bible and we're absorbing uh, from the Bible, spiritual nutrition, and as, as uh, we think about it. So I'm uh, just to insert here, where do I read? Well, uh, there are books written on devotional life. And I think a good point that I've seen often is we are not Old Testament saints, we're New Testament Christians, so we want to spend more time in the New Testament. There are many Bible reading plans out there. Um, 
They can be helpful. Another question that a person may think about is the pace by which we read the Bible. Some like to read it once, read the whole Bible through in a year. And that's a good exercise. And you can get Bibles even that are formatted uh, with that in mind. And they'll have a reading from the Psalms, maybe uh, from one of the wisdom books, and then from the Old Testament and the New Testament, maybe a couple places in the New Testament from uh, maybe the uh, Gospels and um, the Epistles. <clears throat> so that's one way that it can be approached. Another way is to go more slowly and meditatively and maybe read a chapter just very slowly or two or three and um, be very thoughtful about and prayerful as you, as you read. And maybe read a book through several times before you go on to another passage. It's a good exercise. <clears throat> maybe look at another translation than the Bible, that you, the translation you normally read. You can get a fresh, some fresh insight. <clears throat> I've thought already that um, that besides a Bible reading plan or a Bible reading record, it could be helpful to uh, for our for us for ourselves to have a uh, keep a little notebook. Maybe jot some notes in it of, of observations. That journaling can be very beneficial, but, but also to record the amount of time you spent, the quality of that time. And that may be more helpful and a better uh, indicator for you than uh, looking at your, your Bible reading or Bible record and see how many chapters you got marked off this past week or month or whatever. But spiritual nutrition, the truth is becoming known and we're, uh, it, it's laying out for us how it applies to me and seeing ourselves from God's perspective and what God provides for us. A seventh uh, characteristic that I have is assimilation. And these six and seven could have been uh, combined probably, but... Um, in plants, assimilation is a process where they absorb the nutrients for growth into the plant and it goes into the cells and things happen and the plant grows and bears fruit. And in humans, we're receiving information, in this case, spiritual truth, and we're responding to this information we're not just learning it but we're making it a part of our life so we meditate on it digesting it spiritual food digested uh, psalm nineteen fourteen. let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight O lord my strength and my redeemer and as we think about it we reach conclusions 
we see how we see practical ways that this applies to me. And we make some decisions, not the look in the mirror and then leave without changing like James talks about, but we develop life-changing convictions and make decisions. It's the Spirit of God at work. So sometimes we conclude, I have not. I have not been doing something that I ought to be doing. And we need to confess a shortcoming. Sometimes we say, I will. We see something that we should be doing and we commit ourselves. We surrender to that. And we make a change. Or we say, I can. Uh, We have reflected on a promise and found new courage and strength to face a temptation or a difficult relationship or whatever it might be, whatever the challenge might be. And the result of this assimilation is fruit on healthy branches that are abiding in Christ. An eighth supplication, an eighth characteristic would be supplication. We're acknowledging our needs to God. It's petition, a prayer for sustenance. Give us this day our daily bread. And for help, for grace to help in time of need. For deliverance, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For protection, we're in a spiritual battle. And there are influences and forces that war against the soul. And we pray for protection. We pray for renewed minds, transformed minds. We intercede for others. And uh, the list could be long, but there is uh, supplication. God is there to hear us. God is there to work uh, on our behalf. And when a sincere heart earnestly prays, uh, something happens that would not happen if we didn't pray, Uh, starting with ourselves. Praying in faith, something happens that wouldn't if we didn't pray. Sometimes things don't turn out the way we uh, wished and pled, but praying always does something that wouldn't happen if we didn't pray. A ninth characteristic, delight, the blessing of joy the joy of the Lord. In John 15 there we saw that Jesus said, he said these things that your joy may be full. And joy is uh, not a constant. Uh, We feel it sometimes more than other times. Sometimes we can feel pretty joyless even. There's an emotional component to joy. And joy of itself is not the goal 
of our, our the first goal of our of our devotional time. But joy is a fruit. It's a fruit of the spirit, and joy will come when a prepared heart, a sincere heart, consistently meets with God in a genuine, meaningful, devotional time. And, and when that joy is there, desire increases and our appetite grows, our hunger grows, and we're, we look forward to devotional times. Psalm 63, verse 5, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. John 16, verse 22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. When a wonderful God is our friend, is our father, meeting with him becomes a joy. If devotions have be, has become a chore and just dutifully done, and if the only satisfaction is just that we are able to check it off of our list of things to do today that that's not a that's not very motivating for us it's much easier than to miss to slow and um, finally they can just kind of fizzle out and the flame in our heart dies to a flicker doesn't take so much to blow it out then either so don't give up but persist uh, continue taking time for Bible reading and pray, praying even in the dry places. Do the right thing. Because we're far closer to a solution when we are than when we just give up. Then the last one that I have listed is a devotional life, and that is just living out our worship. So the devotional time is done, but our obligation to God is not. And between devotional times, there is devotional living. So we continue meditating. And things of God come easily to mind. Uh, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in, all, in the night watches. There is obedience. We walk in the light as he's in the light. Walking in the light is a life of obedience. There is a sense and awareness of the presence of God. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. And there is ongoing communion and prayer. The eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, suddenly Philip, who had led him to the Lord, suddenly Philip was gone. 
But the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Philip was gone. God wasn't. So, you know, depending on our work and our activities, we're not able to be as focused as we are in our devotional time. But uh, uh, your mind more easily goes to God and the things of God and the, the, the life you're living. And when you have spare minutes, uh, your mind goes there. It's, you're more quickly likely to breathe a prayer and you're walking with God, a devotional life. So uh, why aren't our devotions perfect sometimes? It may be human frailty. That's, that's a factor. Weariness and stress can get us down. We can be pulled down by circumstances that become so heavy. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So there's the weakness of clay in our flesh. That's, that's a factor for all of us. But the solution is God. You know, we really need him. And the rest of that verse, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So the weariness and cares of life don't have to crush us. So we need time with him. It may be our priorities. We talked about them earlier the things of earth can become too important. Uh, work and responsibilities, even good things, can come before our time with God or having fun, other diversions take uh, priority. So a solution for that would be to check our priorities with God's help uh, to analyze them and reorder them if necessary in our schedules. Or it may be carnality and sin, which will make us frail and will mess up our priorities um, if we yield to the lower nature, lust, anger, pride, whatever it might be. There are unconfessed things, unforsaken things that limit the Spirit's working and grieve the Spirit that even give Satan a foothold, that result in stronger temptations and more frequent defeats. Those things, that will, uh, that needs attention. The solution is to repent, to confess, to agree with God. There's sin in my life. And uh, to leave it, find cleansing, forgiveness. So, <clears throat> Looking at a devotional life, uh, just uh, preparing for this message was a good review for me. It's, it's good to think about my own devotional life. Is it all it could be? I do believe that there are rich rewards when we make it a priority. I noticed this in Acts, in uh, Acts 6. They're in Jerusalem 
there in the early church. It said, then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The word of God spread. And then a few chapters later, it says uh, in chapter 12, but the word of God grew and multiplied. This was in, still in Jerusalem. And then in Acts 19, talking about Ephesus, that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now that wasn't referring to words being added to scripture, but rather that the word was growing in its influence and its power in individuals and in the church. And I think what was happening there was what Paul wrote about in Colossians 3.16 that we read earlier. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So that was happening in Jerusalem. It was happening in Ephesus, all across the early church and across the ages. It's happening today. I believe it's happening here. It can happen in all of our hearts if we do our part. May the Lord bless us.